Well, it's good to see you guys. I'm glad you joined us today. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you may know that this past December, I invited people to share how I could pray for them in 2018. They wrote it down on little cards and they turned it in and we received nearly 3,000 cards. Uh, some people had three or four, some of the cards had three or four names and, and many of them had multiple prayer requests uh, on them. And so I've been praying through each card uh, name by name and request by request and I'm now about three quarters of the way through the cards and I've noticed some themes that are surfacing. People are asking for us to pray for their marriages and for their families. People are asking that we pray for their spiritual health and their physical healing. But the number one subject that I'm noticing as I'm praying for people is people are asking for prayer regarding their finances. Over and over again, people are asking for prayers for their finances and for blessings on their businesses. And so... Uh, I suspect that that's because some of you feel some tension or some stress related to your finances. And I want you to know if you feel that way, you're not alone. Because in 2014, the American Psychological Association did a poll on the leading causes of stress in our lives. And they found out that stress about money is the number one causer of anxiety in our lives. They found that more Americans worry about money than about family, work, or health. The survey also found that 75% of Americans feel stressed about money. Think about that. That's three out of every four of us, and they found that 25% of Americans feel extremely stressed about their finances. They also found that money is the number one cause of conflicts within marriage, and it's the number one reason listed for divorce. So many of you asked me to pray for your finances that I decided I wanted to teach you what Jesus said about the blessed life. And the blessed life is when God is supporting you in your life. Now at City Church, we, believe, we exist so that all people can believe and thrive in Christ. And a part of thriving in Christ is experiencing the blessed life. But this is what I find. Many times when we pray for God to, to give us the blessed life or to bless us, what we're really praying is for God to get on our side, right? To come alongside whatever we're doing and however we're making and spending our resources. And so we think that, uh, that getting God's blessing is about getting God on our side. And that's not how the blessed life works. The blessed life, work, the blessed life is not about us getting God on our side. It's about us aligning ourselves with God's side and getting in on what God, what matters to God. And so I want you to picture the blessed life, if you would, like a powerful flow of a river where that river can either be against you, like you can be going against the flow, or where you could be at a place where you're neutral, where God's uh, flow is neither against you nor with you, or where you're in the flow, where God is using his power and his might to support you in your finances. God's support is like the flow of a river. And I want us to get this. You don't control the flow of a river. But you can get into the flow and experience the power of the flow. 
And that's what the blessed life is all about. The blessed life is not about somehow getting God to turn the flow to you. It's about you aligning your life and your finances in the flow. It's already flowing. The blessed life is about getting into the flow. And the blessed life, therefore, is not a financial matter. Does that surprise you? It's a heart matter. The blessed life begins when we get our hearts aligned with what God cares about and what he's doing in this world. The blessed life occurs when we become generous the same way God is generous. Now, when, whenever I ask people, why did God create the spiritual practice of giving? And, and I, I'm a seminary professor uh, on, the, on the side, and sometimes I'll ask my seminary students that question. Why did God create the spiritual practice of giving? And normally they will respond with an answer sort of like this. Well, to support God's work on the earth or something like that, right? Whether it was the, the Jews and Judaism or Christianity today. And, and, I, and so I, had, I, I would ask a follow-up question. Does God need your money? Come on, it's not a trick question. Does God need your money? No, according to the scriptures, he already owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He already owns everything. That means that giving is not for God's sake. Giving is for our sake. Through the spiritual practice of giving, generous giving, God seeks to work selfishness and greed and worry out of our hearts and instead replacing those feelings with generosity. And God blesses people who give with generous hearts. And so I want to make sure we're clear about this. God doesn't need your money. But to thrive, you need his blessing. And here's the good news. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you because he is a generous being. By nature, God is a generous giving being. Generosity and giving oozes out of his nature and his character. I mean, think about it. The scriptures tell us God created the earth and then gave it into our care. And the scriptures say that God miraculously rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And then he gave them the land of Israel. And at times they were in the flow with God and he would support them. And of course, if you read the Old Testament, there were times they would get out of the flow and he would be against them. And then, of course, the scriptures say that ultimately, God loved us so much that he gave us his son. This is John 3, 16. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And it's my hope and my prayer that if you have never believed in Jesus, that you would trust him too, maybe even today. Because that is the very beginning of the blessed life. So God is by nature a generous giving being. And get this, the more like God you become, the more you thrive in life. And so if you become like God in his generosity and in his giving nature, you will become more like God. And that is what helps you thrive in life. And that is the blessed life. 
The blessed life occurs as we become more like God in our character. And so in this series, I want us to unpack what Jesus said about getting into the flow of God's blessing. And like I said a moment ago, this is not a financial matter. This is a heart matter because generosity is a matter of the heart. And so I want us to look at a scene in Jesus' ministry where we see two distinct kinds of hearts related to generosity. All right, so let me set this up. It was a week before Jesus' arrest and (coughs) crucifixion. He was in a town called Bethany. He was at a dinner uh, in his honor, and there were three of his good friends who lived in Bethany, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And there, Jesus witnessed something truly generous. This is John chapter 12, verse 1. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, the offering that Mary gave that day was truly generous. We find out later that it was worth 300 denarii, which is about one year's worth of wages for a normal uh, worker. And so for you to get what happened here, I want you to think about how much you make in a year. Maybe your household. How much do you make in a year? Put your whole household together. Okay, now imagine, you got the number? Imagine you took that amount and bought one jar of perfume, probably meant to last a lifetime, right? But instead of doing that, you used it all up at one time on one person. Can you believe that? What was going on here? So I'm going to give you a little bit of the backdrop. Throughout the scriptures, there's three levels of giving expressed in the scriptures. The first level is called tithing where you give 10% away. And that's sort of like the base level expression of generosity in a relationship with God through the spiritual practice of giving. The second kind of, or level of giving expressed in the scriptures is called an offering. Now an offering is what you gave above the tithe. And so in the Old Testament times, they had offerings like free will offerings, they had guilt and sin offerings and things like that that they would give above the tithe. In our day, we might give to something like our global initiative fund, like an offering to that, or an offering, as you saw earlier, to the San Antonio Food Bank. That's something above the tithe. But then there was a third level of giving expressed in Scripture, and that's an extravagant offering. When you do something that almost doesn't seem logical, and that's what Mary did here. But why? Why would Mary do this? What motivated her to give? I mean, think about it. A whole year's salary at one time. And I think we see it in the scripture. Because just a few months earlier, Jesus had raised her brother Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, raised him to life. And when she saw that, she never got over what Jesus had done for her. And so she gave out of the overflow of gratitude in her heart. She felt an overwhelming sense of joy and generosity because she was so grateful for what Jesus had done. Mary gave 
out of a grateful heart. And so I want us to get this. Generous people give out of a grateful heart. Now I say that because sometimes people have different motivations for being generous, right? So sometimes I hear people talking about giving to get. So the motivation to give is to get it back. Sort of like, almost like God's like some kind of bank where you deposit and you get it back with interest. Come on, you've heard this. Now, I do believe God can bless you in that way, but that's not the motivation of a generous heart. And the motivation of a generous heart is not, they're not motivated by guilt, okay? A person with a generous heart is motivated by gratitude. A person with a generous heart remembers all that God has done for us. And so you give out of the overflow of gratitude. And when you understand the extravagance of God and his character and his gifts to us, you can be motivated at times to give extravagantly. And here's the win. When you give extravagantly, you get to feel joy. Now, have you ever felt prompted to give an extravagant offering? So I remember back when uh, Barbara and I first got married, I had just started seminary. She worked full-time. I worked part-time and went to school full-time. And we didn't make much. We didn't have much. We lived in seminary housing that was built with asbestos siding. And so, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around. But we had a good life. And so I remember uh, one day I was in seminary class, and uh, I, felt, I felt this prompting to give this guy in my class who I didn't know, had never met, I felt prompted to give him $100. Now, the only thing I knew about this guy was that he was from Nigeria. But that was it. I never talked to him, didn't know his name, nothing. And the thing you have to know is all we had in our savings account was $500. So this is like one-fifth of our total worth. (laughs) And so I didn't give it immediately. Because I'm like, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm feeling good today. Maybe I'll feel bad tomorrow and I won't want to give it, you know. (laughs) But man, no, I kept praying about it. I kept praying. I felt like, no, I think we're supposed to give give it to him. And so I went to our bank. I pulled out one-fifth of our savings and I walked up to this guy that I didn't know and I gave it to him. And, and I want, let me just say something. I don't tell you this story to make me look good because those of you who have been around for a while know all, all of my issues and money is a part of the issues that I've struggled with in life. But I tell you this story because that day I met, sorry. I met a man named Solomon Ishola. And we developed a friendship, and my wife and I sort of continued supporting him. And then Barbara's parents met him and his wife and his family. And and they and their friends began to help Solomon and and Elizabeth and their family and and to to pursue his calling in life. And some of you who've been around long enough know that he's preached right here at City Church. Well, right now, Solomon Ishola is the president of the Nigerian Baptist Convention at a time where there is a lot of hatred and violence between Christians and Muslims within this uh, African nation. And Solomon is a man of peace. Solomon is a man of peace where there is violence. Solomon is a man of love where there is hatred. Solomon is a man of forgiveness where there are many wrongs. And 
It gives me joy to know that I did just a little part in investing in this person's calling and his purpose in life for such a time as this. And I'm jealous for you to experience the joy of extravagant giving. Now at City Church, one of our core values is to sacrificially give. We believe sacrificial giving is good because it's good for your heart and it positions you to be in the flow of God's blessing so that God can bless you in return. And, but I will promise you something as one of your church leaders. We won't guilt you into giving because that's the wrong reason to give. So if you're feeling guilty, don't give for that reason. And we're not going to lure you into giving so you can get. But what we will do is challenge you to develop a generous giving heart and then do whatever God prompts you to do. Remember, God doesn't need your money. But to thrive, you need his blessing. Now let's return to the story with Jesus and Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus. But there was somebody else there. This is verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, as an aside, John, who's writing this, says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he, he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, here we see in Judas, the enemy of generosity, which is selfishness. A selfish heart focuses on what is lost, not what is gained. A selfish heart struggles to really believe that it's better to give than to receive, which is one of the key teachings Jesus taught his followers. Now, let's just admit it. We're all born with a little bit of selfishness, right? I mean, have you ever been around little kids? Think back when your kids are little and there's toys around and there's other kids around. What's one of the first words that kids learn? Mine, 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 mine. I've, I've seen a little boy totally uninterested in a toy, but when another kid goes and picks up that toy, what does he do? He walks over. He takes it and says, mine. Okay, you've heard this too then. And so what do we do as parents? <coughs> what do we do as parents? We don't teach them to be selfish. They already know how to take care of that. No, as parents, we train them to be generous and to share. So we are all born with a, a, like a bent toward being selfish. But you know what else we're born with? We're born in the image of God. And that means we have within us this hard wiring toward generosity. But how do we get there? It takes a change of heart. Somewhere in your journey, you have to really wrestle with if you believe that being a generous giving person is better. Because once you have the heart, then everything else takes care of itself. And here's the deal. Judas never got it. Judas' heart was selfish, not generous. So, okay, let's go back to the text. He made a suggestion that seemed very logical. He said, dude, 
this perfume should have been sold and given to the poor. Now, of course, John tells us he didn't care about the poor. He was greedy and he loved money. And he actually stole from Jesus. I mean, is there anything worse than that? He stole from Jesus. And don't forget where that kind of heart led him. Judas ultimately betrayed the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I want to make a couple of observations from this part of the story. First of all, Jesus had a money bag. It takes money to fund a movement. And so Jesus regularly received tithes and offerings from generous people who funded this movement that he started and he called the church. And it still takes money to fund his movement. And that's why each week you hear us talk about ways you can give your tithes and offerings to help fund this part of the movement that Jesus began. So Jesus had a money bag. And we are going to continue to do our best to fund Jesus' movement in the best way possible. Second observation, okay? Sometimes, like Judas said that day, I hear people say things like, well, why did the church spend money on that? On those comfortable chairs, those expensive lights. That money could have been given to the poor. You ever, you ever said something like that? You ever heard something like that? Maybe you ever hear that. I hear stuff like that because I'm a pastor. And can I just say something? Be careful. I'm not saying we're perfect. We do our best to use whatever's been entrusted to us in the best way possible. But, and I know some people are, I know some church leaders have been irresponsible. But man, be careful. I don't think you want to go around quoting Judas as your example of generosity. You know what I'm saying? And I want you to notice what Jesus said in response to Judas' criticism. This is verse 7 and 8. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, what did he mean by that? Jesus said it was intended that this perfume would go for this purpose, not for any other purpose. And what was the purpose? To prepare his body for burial. I mean, you remember what was going to happen in a week or two. When he was crucified, he died late on a Friday, and so the family and friends could not anoint his body for burial. They were going to come back and do that on Sunday morning. Remember, that's why the women came to the tomb. But they never got to do it, did they? Because he had risen from the dead. Guess what? Mary got to anoint his body for burial. Whew. And just who intended that Mary would do this? This is what Jesus said. It was intended. Who intended it? God did. God prompted Mary to do this thing that had to seem weird to her too. You mean I'm supposed to take that and pour the whole thing on Jesus? It feels weird. And take my hair and wipe. I'm, oh my gosh. She didn't know why she was doing it. But God did. And because she listened to God's prompting in her heart, she got to anoint the Son of God for his burial. 
and the story doesn't end there. In Mark's account of the same event, Jesus continued and said this, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary got a reward for her generosity. She was blessed in this life, and one day she's going to get a reward. And think about it. I'm talking about Mary still today, and people still do all over the world. God doesn't need your money, but to thrive, you need his blessing. So do you want to be in the flow of God's blessing? Do you want to be in the flow of God's blessing? Do you want God to be the Lord over your finances? Uh, the word, uh, Bobby, you sovereign. You want God to be sovereign over your finances? Then you have to trust your finances to him. From the very beginning of time, you go all the way back to Genesis, is where the principle first surfaces. The giving away of 10% was always a part of a vital relationship with God. It started in Genesis, and Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. And I think that somewhere along the way in your spiritual journey, you have to decide if you really believe in the God of blessing. Because I'm not sure we do. According to recent statistics in the United States, just one-third to one-half of regular church-going people gave anything to their church. That means a half or more gave nothing. And according to the same report, of those who did give something, only 3 to 5% tithed. Meanwhile, the wealth accumulated by church-going Americans is reaching historic proportions. When at the same time, when we have greater ability to, ex to expand the kingdom of God in our world, we are hoarding our riches. I'm talking about Americans. In fact, American Christians now, get this, proportionately give less to the movement Jesus started than believers did during the Great Depression. And that just ain't right. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a generous person? Let's make it personal. Are you a generous person like Mary? Do you want to be? Now, I know some of you are thinking, but Pastor, man... I don't make enough to give away anything because like I'm barely making ends meet. Giving is not about how much you make. It's about how you spend what you make. Because I suspect that pr probably most of the people in this room are rich by world standards. Now I know you're shocked to hear me say that. Okay? So I want you to go back, think about how, how much you and your household make together. Do you have that amount? So I actually have the, the survey of uh, what households make in a five-mile radius around City Church. Do you want to know what the average household income is? Five-mile radius, $70,000. So that means some of us make less, some of us make more, but the average, everything together, $70,000. Okay, you have that figure in your, in your mind? So I looked up then the IRS report of the wealthiest Americans, and here we go. If you made 100000 or more, you're in the top 12% of the wealthiest Americans. If you made 50000 or more, you're in the top 34% of the wealthiest Americans. And if you made 30000 or more, you're in the top 50% of the wealthiest Americans. And I suspect that most of us are in that top 
And if you're in the top 50% of the wealthiest Americans, then you are rich by world standards. Giving is not about how much you make. It's about how you spend what you make. Now, I know some of you may be struggling financially. You, you may have lost your job and your unemployment is ending, or maybe you've gone through a divorce and you're, you're now trying to make it as a single parent. And I want you to know, if you're going through something tragic like that, please know that God sees and he cares, and we care too. We do understand that there may be a season where you have to direct your finances to the crisis at hand. But I suspect that others of us are stressed out about money because we're in so much debt that we're spending 110% of what we make. And we're going further and further in debt. You've ever been there? Come on. I've, I've been honest with you guys before about me and Barbara. We came to a season. We always gave, but we're, where we had so much what I would call stupid debt that we just felt stressed out all the time. And honestly, I didn't know what to do. We needed a plan. And so we just went through the Dave Ramsey FPU plan. And uh, we offer that here at our church. We just had a group graduate from the program. And we've got another group that's going to be starting this June. And if this describes you, if you know that stupid debt is keeping you from being the generous person you've always wanted to be, then please go through a plan, get out of the stupid debt so you can be that generous person. Now, some of you might be anxious regarding your finances. And please know, worry will keep you from being a generous person. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus said about positioning yourself where you will never worry about money again. Do you believe that's possible? That's not my promise. It's what Jesus said. Then come the next two weeks, and I'm going to tell you what he said about it. Now, uh, Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church in Dallas has written a tremendously a profound book on this subject called The Blessed Life, and it, it, it's really the basis of this series, and we have copies available in the Ethos bookstore to serve you, but whatever you do, get into the flow of God's blessing. Now, a few weeks ago, <laughs> we had the director of the Pies Hermosas Orphanage, Fidel Rubio, pray a blessing over our church in each of the services, and if you were here, I mean, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was powerful. And, uh, but what you may not know is that uh, our church is the sole supporter of that orphanage, which serves 50 to 70 uh, impoverished children in central Mexico. But what, what you probably don't know is that Fidel takes 10% of everything we send them and sends it up to a church movement work in the Sierra Mountains serving the Tatamata Indian tribes. Okay, so I want you to get this. This orphanage tithes and you know why? Because Fidel and Mariana believe in the God of blessing. When God gave Fidel a vision to start this orphanage, he was unemployed, living in a tent, had a pregnant wife, and five pesos in his pocket, but he believed in the God of blessing, and he did what God called him to do. He now owns two large properties in Chihuahua and another property in the Sierra Mountains, get this, that were all given to him. Why? Because he believes in the God of blessing. He believes it's better to give than to receive. He lives with a generous giving heart, and he's seen God's hand of blessing in his life. And that's what I'm jealous for you to experience. God doesn't need your money, but to thrive, you need the God of blessing. 
And I'm asking you to position your life and your finances in the flow of God's blessing. Let's pray together. Lord God, I know this message that I've spoken over these people that you love and that I love. I know it's scary for some of us. But my prayer, Lord, is that you would stir faith within our hearts to truly believe in the power of your flow when we position ourselves and our finances in that flow. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take steps this week to trust you with our finances. And so maybe you would just hold your hands out just like like you would offer your hands out as a, I'm not going to make you do anything weird, I promise. And just say, Lord, I trust you in my finances. You are sovereign over my finances. Yes, Lord. So, Lord, to the best of our abilities, by faith, we are trusting you with our finances. And I ask you to bless these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our our prayer team is going to be available here to serve you and pray with you. And uh, we would love to serve you in that way. Next week, like I said, we're going to look at what Jesus said will help you never worry about money again. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.